When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Get Booked is sponsored by the Read Harder Journal. We created this journal to help you keep track of your reading and also to stretch your reading horizons. It consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. And evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by our annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wide range of voices and perspectives. So you can indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books or find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. So go to bookriot.com slash readharderjournal to buy one. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 164, and we are recording on January 15th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. We are coming to you from Book Riot Struggle Bus. (laughs) I am groggy AF, y'all. I was in in the ER vet until 2 a.m. this morning, and then did not, my body did not let me sleep in at all. But my cat is fine, the upshot of which is that my cat is actually fine, so that's good. Um, But yes, Struggle Bus is correct. (laughs) I am, I put some whipped cream and some coffee, Leslie Nope style, so so that's what I'm doing right now. (laughs) All right, that's good. (laughs) Whatever you gotta do to get through. Exactly. Exactly. My words might be a little garbled, but here we are. What are you reading, Amanda? Um, I'm reading Drop the Ball, like everybody else on staff, (laughs) Uh, by Tiffany Dufu. Dufu? Hmm. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it too much because I saw on the agenda that you're like actually Mm -hmm. recommending it to someone later. Um, But the overall, the book is about, it's like part memoir, part, I don't know, sociology. Um, Yeah about how women do an unfair share of domestic emotional labor and physical labor and mental labor um, and how to go about changing that. The idea being that like we fought so hard for equality in the workplace and under the law and in other areas of life, but like we are still doing all the laundry and we're still the ones who keep track of everybody's school schedules and all that kind of thing. The first half of the book, I just finished it last night. And the first half I was like, I don't have a husband and I don't care about any of this. But then I like very much warmed up to it um, because it is very applicable to like work and, and like mental labor that I'm doing that is just not necessary, even though Mm -hmm. I'm not like passing it off to someone. It's just like, I don't need to pass it off to anyone. (laughs) Like it just, I don't need to do it. So um, yeah, if you, which is all of us feel like you're doing too much, this real good. Oh, I'm so delighted. (laughs) My campaign is working. It is. (laughs) (laughs) I've been, I will not shut up about this book on our work Slack. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm making progress. I know I'm making progress. Oh yeah. Everyone's reading it. Everyone's reading it. I'm so delighted. Um, I finished in the ER vet. I finished Kingdom of Copper by S.A. Chakraborty, which is the sequel to City of Brass. And I don't feel like I can say almost anything about the plot of this book because it's just like spoiler central um especially if you haven't read the first one but it i'll tell you what 
there's a lot going on. Oh. <laughs> so much happens. Everybody is making terrible choices. Um, and you're just like, oh, my fictional baby is like, what is going to happen to you? So that is my two-second review of Kingdom of Copper by S.A. Chakraborty. Very nervous for my fictional babies. All right, let's see. So this show, as I mentioned at the top, is a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you send us your questions about what you should read next or what your book club should read or what you should gift to a family member or friend or any of those things, and we will do our best to find you a good pick. You can send those questions to us either via email, it's getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes for each episode on the site. If you have a question that you're hoping to get a response back by a certain date, please put time sensitive and the date either in the subject line of the email or like real big letters at the very beginning of the form. We do our best to get to those uh, when we can. Um, if you are not going to get your question answered on air, but it is time sensitive, we will do our best to send you an email response. So keep an eye out for those. We do have a little feedback from the last show from Kate H, who says Sarah, who is the person who was working for the uh, doing content around camping and RVs, Sarah needs to read slash watch Laid Back Camp, originally a manga series by Afro Manga. Did I just say manga? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm tired. Originally a manga series <laughs> by Afro about a group of Japanese high school maybe girls in a camping club. It was also made into an anime series. And perfectly captures the simple joys of being outdoor while sprinkling in some practical tips. I prefer the anime, and it's only 12 short episodes, so not a huge commitment. I actually might have to find that. The manga about camping sounds good to me. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So Amanda's going to read our first question, and then we'll do our first sponsor, and away we go. All right. Our first question is from Rihanna, who says, I'm doing a going postal challenge thing where you get paired up and send people books, and I'm usually pretty good at it. But the person I got doesn't know what she wants, so I don't know. This is what she sent me. I have no preference on theme. Surprise me. I say no to romance. I love chocolate. I want to leave the choosing of my books up to you. I prefer paperback and used. Uh, my top five most wanted are Joe Hill's Lock and Key series, um, Colleen Hoover, the selection series, preferred genres are thriller and true crime, and least favorite genres are romance, erotica, and nonfiction. No triggers to avoid. Uh, she only has five books on Litzy and doesn't like Harry Potter. I have no clue what to do. <laughs> that is a lot. That's actually quite a bit of data. Um, okay, so Jen's going to tell us about our first sponsor, and then I will answer this question. Yes, indeedy. Okay, so our first sponsor is Help Me, One Woman's Quest to Figure Out If Self-Help Really Can Change Your Life by Marion Power, available now from Grove Press. So this is one of those memoirs where a journalist like does the thing. Um, so for years, uh, Marion lined her bookshelves with definitive guides on how to live your best life, and she dipped in and out of these self-help books, and then one day, she figured out that like the life she actually wants to be living versus the life that she is living are not at all the same and so she set out to make some changes so this is the account of her one-year quest to figure out if self-help books really can change your life um so this is one of those like julie and julia it started as a blog she uh, wrote for the Daily Mail for over 10 years and has a weekly happiness column in the irish ah. independent so shades of gretchen rubin up in here um <laughs> And this also, like in addition from being the story of how sh this year-long journey went, um, it also sort of distills the 12 most, uh, or it distills information from 12 
self-help books, like including The Secret and the Effort series um, with things like mindfulness or dating or money or facing fears. So if you're interested in, you know, a review of all of these different self-help books, you will get that as well. Um, And I think it's an interesting way to look at, like, what is happiness and does the happiness industry work? Because there definitely is a happiness industry in this world. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. yes, if you are also, well, especially this time of year, if you're looking for, you know, self-help to help you out, but maybe are a little skeptical or want to see how somebody else did it, this is a book that you can pick up. Again, that is Help Me, One Woman's Quest to Find Out If Self-Help Really Can Change Your Life by Marianne Power. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Um, okay, so the question was what to give to this person who has some conflicting information <laughs> in there. Uh, Amanda, what did you decide? Okay, I picked the Survivors Club graphic novel by Lauren Bucus. Um, and I picked this because she said she likes the Lock and Key series by Joe Hill, which is also a horror graphic novel, and that she prefers thrillers. Um, so I just leaned into those things, uh, and it's super creepy, so I think she'll be into it. Um, it's about a, a group of six survivors who, like, in the 80s survived these weird occult phenomenons. Like, one of them was possessed, and there was, like, a haunted house, and Uh, One was like haunted by a killer doll and all of these sorts of things. And now they're adults and these kinds of familiar occult, supernatural, paranormal, creepy, terrible things are starting to happen around these people again. And so they're coming together to find out like if there's a particular reason why, you know, ghosties and baddies and demons keep following them around and what they can possibly do about it. Um, Brian Kelly is the artist and it is very um, claustrophobic and not... For the faint-hearted, which neither is Joe Hill. So I think that this would be a good pick for somebody who's, like, cool with haunted house actual horror. Like, actual. This is not, like, horror for teen. No, this is, like, creepy, weird, scary stuff. Um, And I don't... The first edition... um, There is a complete series collected that you can buy together. It's issues one through nine. It is a comic that comes out, you know like floppy by floppy, but if you get Survivor's Club, the complete series, which has all six characters on the cover, then that is issues one through nine. So you should get the full um, story arc. So yeah, that's Survivor's Club, the complete series by Lauren Bucus. I love her. I have a signed so copy of that first issue somewhere. Ooh. And I read the first issue and then I was like, I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> no, gracias. <laughs> Sometimes I can handle Lauren, but especially seeing it drawn out, I was just like, nope, 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 nope. I was the yeah. noptopus. Um, but I do love her. Okay. I, you know, Rihanna, I feel you on your confusion because like Colleen Hoover is pretty romancy. And so her be like, I don't mm-hmm. like romance. It's like, mm, I don't, you, this, I don't know if this word means what you think it means, but it's fine. Um, I got a little hung up on the selection series and kept thinking about that. And then the um, she prefers paperback, prefers used. So my pick for your uh, male book club person is Throne of Glass by Sarah J. Moss. Um, I, this is really leaning into that like sort of paranormally fantasy, YA, angsty, what's going to happen next sort of vibe that the selection has. I don't think I have to do a lot of, I mean, everybody's heard of these books, but if she only has five books on her Litzy, it sounds like there might be some holes in her reading. So mm-hmm. perhaps she has not gotten to them yet. Um, and it is an ongoing series. So if she likes it, there's more. Um, it is about an 18-year-old assassin uh, who has been doing hard labor in salt mines in this fantasy world um, and gets dragged before the crown prince uh, to win her freedom. But she has to first win a competition to find a new royal assassin. Um, so if she wins this competition, she will 
will serve the kingdom for four years and then get to be free. She obviously hates the reigning family because they put her into hard labor and other things. Um, but she would rather be free. And also maybe she'll get to kill some people in the process. Like, that sounds good, right? So so this is the beginning of her journey. I never know how to say her name. Is it Kalena, Selena? Like, hmm, question marks. Um, but it's a very enjoyable series. It moves fast. There's a lot of great characters. Um, there are a ton of, like, fan art and fan theories and all kinds of good stuff on the internet for her to get into if she does like it. And I feel like this, I, like from what we can tell of her reading preferences, I think, I think this is a solid match. So again, that's Throne of Glass, which is the first in the Throne of, Gla- Throne of Glass series by Sarah J. Moss. And our next question is from Nicole, who says, I started a book club at my work of personal development slash business books for a few of us who are interested in the office. I already made the commitment this year of not reading books written by white, cisgendered, straight male authors, and I'd like to stick to it. I never realized before just how many authors in the personal development slash business book area fall into the category I'm not reading in 2019. Any suggestions that you've enjoyed? Brene Brown is definitely already on the list, as is Amy Cuddy and Carol Dweck. Um, I am just going to keep talking because I picked Drop the Ball by Tiffany Dufu, which I'm on a campaign to get everyone to read. Like Amanda said, it is about specifically um, women doing too much work uh, in all kinds of different ways. Emotional labor, you know, like second shift, you know, come mm-hmm. home from actual job, do the second shift at home. And what I love about this book is that I actually think men would get a lot out of reading mm-hmm. this and not in like a didactic way, but I think Dufu is doing a lot of work here about breaking down the stereotypes of like the nagging woman and the lazy and competent man. And like Amanda said, like if you're like a lot of it is organized around her experience of her marriage, but it's so much of it applies to gender dynamics in the workplace as well. Mm-hmm. And these things just repeat everywhere in our lives. They really do. So chances are you're doing things at home that could be given to somebody else or that nobody needs to be doing. And you're probably doing the same thing at work. And I think this is a really interesting way to have a conversation about that without pointing any fingers. Because mm-hmm. that's what I think is really smart about the way she does this. Is she's really trying to get everybody onto the same page. And I appreciate that a lot. She is also a woman of color. And she talks about the intersections of race and class um, in all of this, you know, personal development, like ambition, career, as well as the gender dynamic stuff. So I think she's covering a lot of ground here. Uh, so, again, let's drop the ball. Favorite book, Maxing It Out, right at the beginning of the year <laughs> by Tiffany Dufu. Um, go side. I really liked it. Uh, okay, so I picked Give Work by Layla Jana, which is not necessarily a book about how to get better at your job or like develop yourself personally, but is a business book. I saw Layla Jana speak on the Marie Forleo show on her YouTube channel, and she was so brilliant talking about the ineffectiveness of international aid and the, how the real way to pull people up out of really deep poverty, like institutionalized poverty, is to give them jobs where they can develop marketable skills um, that they can use across, you know, like the digital world. So I picked up her book after I saw her speak on the show. um, And she founded out of when she graduated from Harvard, she founded a company called Samasource, which did exactly that. Like it took tech industry jobs and outsourced like tech industry jobs from like Google and Facebook and all those companies and outsourced them to um, 
places of extreme poverty, including like refugee camps in Kenya and also rural Arkansas, um, like places across the world that had a really hard time accessing uh, digital like computers, like getting computers or having broadband internet access. So she brought those to them and then taught them how to uh, do the work, like how to, it's a lot of job training. uh, And then they just keep, they keep the jobs once they're trained to do the jobs um, for these companies. And my first reaction is very much like, I don't know if the answer to extreme poverty is like outsourcing Google, you know, like Google, they could just give them, you know, um, but Google does like there, there are tons of aid organizations that take and like Google and Facebook and all these places have charity wings where they give money to really poor uh, nations, but it's not doing any good. Um, So I don't know. She changed a lot of my thinking about how we uh, approach aid um, and how so often aid is a stopgap that doesn't actually solve the problem of getting people who are, you know, from rural Arkansas and have no internet access um, caught up to the rest of the world so that they can develop skills that keep them marketable long after this organization isn't in Arkansas anymore, which is the big problem with aid, right? We go and we give them money and then we leave. And like, once the money is gone, they're just, people are like just back where they started. There's no infrastructure change. There's no skills given to people to help them, you know, kind of, fish for themselves, so to speak. Um, but it was really, really interesting. I'm, I'm, I, I still have, like, questions, but as I can't call her personally, I don't have <laughs> answers to them. Um, but it did change a, a lot of the way that I think about this sort of thing. And if you are in an industry where you are outsourcing jobs, um, I think it could be a helpful guide to, like, to where. Like, where are you sending those jobs and why? Um, and where could you maybe be using your money in a, in a more globally conscious way? Um, so that's Give Work, Reversing Poverty, One Job at a Time by Layla Jana, who is a woman of color, to be clear. Um, okay, question three is from Belinda, who says, I recently went to the movies and saw the preview for On the Basis of Sex, the story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Being from Australia, I don't know anything about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but I want to read up about her before seeing the movie when it comes out in February. Any book recommendations would be greatly appreciated. Okay, Jen, what do you got? I went to Rebecca, my personal (laughs) RBG expert, (laughs) and she recommended My Own Words by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. (laughs) Um, And this is a collection of writings and speeches uh, from the course of her career across a huge range of topics. So like gender equality and the way that the Supreme Court works and being Jewish and opera and, you know, the U.S. Constitution and international politics and all of these things. Um, So they put together, she, Justice Ginsburg and her biographers, like, put together a sample of the things that she's written and or the speeches that she's given. Um, And there's a little introduction to each chapter, giving context. And Rebecca said that it was really interesting because it includes stuff all the way back to pieces she wrote in high school. And following her thinking as it developed was very interesting. So if you want to get, like, a full sort of 360 view of how of the progression of her career and her own sort of philosophy and thoughts. Um, This is a good one. So again, that's my own words by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Alrighty. I picked notorious RBG, the life and times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Iron Carman and Shana Nisnik, um, which is a like super fun (laughs) biography. (laughs) Can a biography of a Supreme court justice be super fun? Yes. Yes, it can. Um, I don't know if you remember like the memes of, 
notorious RBG that first yes. happened, yeah, like years ago, when when Ruth Bader Ginsburg really started to become like somehow a pop culture icon, and and how like how is that possible? And this is what this book is about. Like, how could a Supreme Court justice, like a very serious academic intellectual person who spends most of her days in black robes, like become the voice of the millennial generation, like somehow that happened, kind of. And so this is a book that examines that. And it is a biography. So it does start from her childhood and goes up through her time in college, um, her like through her marriage and her arguments before the Supreme Court, where she, I'm pretty sure was the first woman the first female attorney to argue before the Supreme Court, um, and then how she got on the bench, you know, and her life since then, and like her weird friendships with Alito, like how did that happen? There's so much about Ruth Bader Ginsburg that's like a giant question mark, uh, <laughs> and and this this book really talks about her, like her nuance, like her new, her really nuanced thinking. Some of the ways that she gets things wrong, which she does uh, get a lot of things wrong a lot of the time, but not as much as everybody else, um, and <laughs> how she came to be. So, um, so much a face of resistance and so much a face of uh, progressive, rational thought on the bench, which, you know, should be a home to rational thought, but is deeply not a home to rational thought. Uh, And it's also, you know, it's just pop culture. Like, it's a weirdly entertaining biography. It's not like a million pages long. It's not tons and tons of footnotes. It's just like a really well-written narrative that has a lot of pop culture tie-ins, um, which I appreciate it. So that's Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. All right. They were at, it's me, yeah, they were at Book Riot Live. Um, I can't remember which panel it was, but it was cool to see them speak. Let's see. Our next question is from Shayna, who says, I'm going to be spending a little over a month in Puerto Rico, and I'm looking for book recs about or taking place on the island. Um, I... I have a short story collection for you that I just ended up loving when I went searching for a book for you. It's Mundo Cruel Stories by Luis Negron, translated by Suzanne Joe Levine. And this is a debut collection that just got like ravest reviews. Um, And I totally agree. It is a slice of life of queer Puerto Rico. Um, And it is it's so funny and it's so sharp and it's so um like like the forms of the stories are interesting like one of them is told entirely in these letters that one character keeps leaving for another letter about like how he really needs to borrow some money to have his dog taxidermied and then the story takes this like really bizarre twist um and, you know, other one of them is told entirely in, like, one half of a phone conversation. So there's some experiments with form happening. Um, I will give a trigger warning for slurs because these characters are speaking in ways that actual people speak when faced with, you know, homophobia or, like, certain, you know, in-group jokes and things. Um, like, this is just a, a slice of reality. So it's not it's not excused. It's just presented as, like, this is the way that this gets talked about in Puerto Rico. Um, and so yeah but it's and then most of it takes place in this one neighborhood and you just I did feel like I could like see the neighborhood um there's one that's like two women talking over a fence about a third woman's little boy that I just like wanted to like reach into the story and strangle them um and it's it is it's just very it's just very slice of life it's really well done I loved the language I loved how playful it was I loved how sharp it was um 
And like there's some heartbreaking moments, but there's some really funny ones too, which I think is what we want in a slice of life, especially about something like this where like I don't know that I've ever read a specifically queer Puerto Rican author like this before. So um, I really loved it. So it's Mundo Cruel Stories by Luis Negron, translated by Suzanne Jill Levine. Okay, I picked When I Was Puerto Rican by Esmeralda Santiago, which is a memoir. And it is a, whew, it's a memoir, y'all. So it's, it's just, there's just a lot going on. Esmeralda was born in rural Puerto Rico uh, to a huge family. Well, she's the oldest, so her, it wasn't huge when she started. But um, eventually she ended up being the oldest of 11 children, which is like, dang. Ah, I know. Um, and so the memoir is a lot about growing up as a young kid in Puerto Rico and in rural Puerto Rico specifically and what that was like and what the culture was like and the food and the sound, like it's very sensual, like the sounds and what things look like and the smells and, and the, you know, um, the, the um, religious and spiritual practices of the people around her. And then her mother takes Esmeralda and her seven children at the time, which eventually become 11, to New York and they move to Brooklyn. And no one speaks English, uh, and Esmeralda has, well, none of the adults do. Esmeralda has to work as a translator for her mother. Eventually, there are more kids than there are, like, corners to stick them in, um, and they have to navigate all of those things. Like, how do you, government assistance if that's needed, and where's the grocery store, and how do I find anything here when I can't read the labels, um, and getting into school, and all, all of that. Like, little stuff that, you know, people take for granted when you're, like, from a place where you live. Uh, and eventually, she goes off to uh, the Performing Arts High School in New York, and then she, trans- she, you know, graduates, goes to some community colleges, and then she transfers to Harvard on a full scholarship, and, like, is now super, super successful in media and film and obviously writing. Uh, But the book is very much about that tension between rural Puerto Rico and like growing up climbing guava, like climbing mango, mango trees and like eating, you know, whatever, like a food that you recognize and then coming to a new country, which is not rural, you know, it's Brooklyn, but not rural at all, where you don't speak the language and you don't know what you're supposed to eat or where you're supposed to go or how to navigate a subway or any of that. Um, and with your huge giant family where most people live in little apartments and don't have 11 children. Like it's such a culture clash. It's such a culture clash. Um, but it's, it's like super, it's super fascinating. And her success is so, I don't want to say it's impressive because that feels like a little demeaning, but mm-hmm. I could not go to another country and go to Harvard. Like, you know, I, I'm, I went to Spain for a week and I could barely find a bathroom and I speak Spanish. Like, it's just for a, a kid to come here and, and become such a successful, brilliant writer. It's just, I mean, I don't mean any insult. I find it super impressive because I could not do it. Um, so that's When I Was Puerto Rican by Esmeralda Santiago. And to hold up her whole family, like, that's just, whew. I'm done. <laughs> it is impressive to me. Okay, um, so our second sponsor, it's me. Is it me? Yes. Um, oh, this one's exciting. So this is uh, Wish Tree by Catherine Applegate, but it's an adult edition. So if you don't know who Catherine Applegate is, she's like the beloved children's author. She won a Newbery for the one and only Ivan, which is about us and Abe. I love that book so much. Um, and Wish Tree is a middle grade novel about compassion and inclusivity and community action. It reminds me a little bit of The Giving Tree, but not so weird and depressing because that book is very odd. Um, But it is one of those kind of middle grade books that kids and adults can both come together and talk about and have things to say to each other. It's like a conversation starter. But I would recommend it as much to a kid as I would to like an adult's 
book club. It's very timely. Um, it's it's speaking metaphorically, but you know, if you're an adult, you're going to get it about immigration uh, and issues of having people come into your neighborhood who maybe aren't like you, and how how people react to that in different ways, um, and dealing with people who you don't who like you don't initially think you have anything in common with with like sensitivity. Um, and compassion and grace, it is definitely one of those like books that stays with you and probably will, you know, be a classic for the ages. But there is a new adult edition of Wish Tree out now that you can go buy that if you are tempted to like read it with your book club uh, and you think they might balk at like hanging out in the kids section of a bookstore to buy it, you can get an adult edition now. Um, so that is Wish Tree by Catherine Applegate. Okie dokie. Still you. <laughs> Still me. I'm scrolling. They hear me scrolling. Okay, scrolling through the agenda. So our next question is from Khadija, who says, I'm looking for books by women that are similar to the style of Kurt Vonnegut. I recently started dating someone who is a feminist, but most of the books on his shelf are by men. And he said he would like to diversify his collection. His favorite book is Bluebeard by Vonnegut, and he also really likes Breakfast of Champions. From my understanding, it's the humor that he really likes. If there are any good suggestions, I would love to hear them. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. Word. Um, I went through a huge Vonnegut phase. Mm-hmm. I want to say late high school, early college, and remember him very fondly, although I have not revisited anything in a while. And so I feel pretty confident in my suggestion for this one. It's The Sky is Yours by Chandler Clang Smith, um, which came out in the last couple of years, is relatively new. Uh, oh, actually, 2018. Yeah, so last year. Um, and this is a debut novel that is so satirical. Like, wow like the satire it burns um <laughs> and it takes place in this like wacky future where there's like dragons but also weird technology and the city is like crumbling to pieces and there's this reality star who's sort of the worst um like flying his little jet around while like you know wanking basically um and there are you know it's just i don't even know how to like describe to you this book because there's so much going on it's really wacky it's really out there everybody is behaving terribly and when you read the reviews people are like i didn't people either like loved it or hated it because they were like i didn't want to root for any of these characters because they're all awful and then the people who loved it are like this is hilarious and amazing so like it's exactly that kind of thing where like with Vonnegut it it's like it's not necessarily that you like any of the characters but he's so sharp and incisive about like why people behave the way they do and like sort of using these terrible characters to highlight you know problems and things in our own world that like maybe we would rather not think about um and I think that's exactly what Chan- Chandler Clang Smith is doing here. Plus, like, dragons and weird tech and monsters and drugs and, like, whatever. Um, so there's a lot going on. It's got that madcap feel. And I think the style is very similar. So that, again, is The Sky is Yours by Chandler Clang Smith. Okay, I picked Severance by Ling Ma because also the satire it yes. <laughs> Um This is such a sharp and dryly funny kind of science fiction dystopia, which Sharp and Dryly Funny dystopia science fiction kind of book is like right in the Vonnegut wheelhouse. Um, So this is modern and it takes place in present day. And it's about a woman named Candace who's a millennial. She works in Manhattan and she is like, she works for like a Bible company or a publisher that makes Bibles. Um, And while she's going about her like daily drone of working this job she doesn't care about and like 
her boyfriend's just broken up with her and she's just like deeply detached from her life. Um, this flu, like an apocalyptic end of the world flu is sweeping the world. And she barely notices it. Like she barely notices. Um, it's called the Shen Fever. The company like squeaks to a halt. The subways aren't working. The city, you know, everybody's dying and she's just like not noticing. Um, and her boss makes her part of a skeleton crew uh, on in their company. And so she just like drones on, not paying attention to anything going around, going on around her. And eventually realizes like, oh, the city is abandoned. <laughs> like Manhattan is abandoned and I am here by myself. And so she hooks up with another group of survivors who has like this weird religiously kooky guy named Bob who's in charge and they're play- he's trying to like take them all to a place that he calls the facility where they're going to start society over um, and it is it's so dry that sometimes you're like was that supposed to be mm-hmm. funny or is that supposed to be insulting it's both 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 question mark both um, and if you are a millennial especially if you're a millennial who read that like recent piece on burnout that's been going around recently then you're going to recognize every like metaphor that she's making here um, about modern modern life and and work and how people in this generation are so used to grinding themselves down until their personalities are gone like all for the sake of security um, and what happens when that is gone like what happens when through no fault of your own that security completely disappears even if you've hustled 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 forever which we have all done. Uh, so that is Severance by Ling Ma. Cosign. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. Our next question is from Susan, who says, an opportunity has arisen for me to teach in Kuwait for several months. I've applied and been accepted to start in mid-January. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to tap into the culture with a good book and diversify my bookshelf. I tend to go for history, literature, nonfiction, and historical fiction. Um, so I am reading this book right now, and I think it would be a very interesting one to pick up. It's A Map of Home by Rhonda Jarrer. Um, and this is a novel that is about a young woman who grows up in Kuwait, um, spends her teenage years in Egypt, and then her family moves to Texas. Um, and she's the daughter, uh, Nadali is the daughter of an Egyptian Greek mother and a Palestinian father. Um, and you start off with like sort of, you know, the, the like apocryphal story of her birth and how she got her name. And then you move forward, um, from there. And I am, I want to say like a third of the way through and it's really, it is really funny. It's also like in the ways that, you know, when you're getting a sort of child's perspective on the family and what's going on around it politically, you're just like, Ooh, like I know things you don't know. Um, especially because, you know, uh, she spent, her teenagers in Egypt because she was a teenager in 1990 when the Iraqi invasion started. So like, you know, what's coming, but she doesn't, um, the main character does not. And her father is this sort of, you know, like abusive, big feelingly, like physically abusive, big feeling character, um, who she both loves and is terrified of as is the way her mother is this really smart, strong woman, you know, but this relationship is very toxic. Um, and she herself is like struggling to figure out who she is. Uh, so it is like an LGBTQ story. It's a political story. It's a complicated family story. Like there's a lot going on here. Uh, and I think it's a really interesting, like I'm really enjoying 
the way it's written, although some parts of it are hard to read. Um, so yeah, I think, I think this would be a solid one. And, and I also think, you know, just generally, like if you're looking for international fiction, especially about refugees and immigration, like, I don't know how I missed this one earlier. It's from 2008 and I had never heard of it until I went down the rabbit hole looking for a book for this question. So, um, I think this one might, could use a little more reads just generally speaking. So again, that's a map of home by Rhonda Jarr. Okay, I picked Salt Houses by Hala Alyan, which came out, I think, two years ago and has just come out in paperback. So if you are a paperback reader and you prefer that, then that is available to you. And this is historical fiction, partly. It jumps back and forth between um, the late 60s to present day and doesn't entirely take place in Kuwait, but a large part of the book is in Kuwait City. Um, So it opens in the 60s um, when a woman named Salma is like reading the coffee dregs uh, to try and tell her daughter's future because she's about to get married, her daughter Alia. Um, and the things that she sees are a lot of travel and no, no, um, no roots being put down, you know, a very unsettled life. And she doesn't say anything because, you know, you don't want to tell someone who's about to get married that like their life is never going to be root. You're going to be rootless forever. Happy marriage, you know, that's weird. Um, So she keeps it all to herself, but then everything that she foresaw starts to kind of come true as the Six-Day War comes through. Uh, They live in the West Bank, and so the Six-Day War in the 60s happens, um, and Salma is forced to leave uh, her home. And um, Alia, the woman who's getting married, her brother gets really militarized. He he can't, you know... um, get out of this kind of trap he's put himself in of being uh, actually like super militarized um alia and her husband don't know what to do so they they leave they move to kuwait city and have three kids and start like building a life and then you kind of fast forward to the 90s when saddam hussein invades kuwait uh, and they lose their home again and then her and her children are all scattered so some of her kids go to beirut some of them go to paris one of them is boston um and it's very multi-generational. Like, you start with Salma and her life, how she ended up in the West Bank and what her childhood was like. Uh, and then you're with Alia in Kuwait. As she tries to get used to living there, it's it's very different from where she grew up. She's not necessarily happy there. It's kind of supposed to be temporary. Like, she's living there until she can go home. But that never really happens. That That, that period of, like, when can I just go back is something that she's constantly chasing. She's also a very hard woman. Like, she's very harsh with her kids and so as her kids leave they're not like super intent on ever going back because they don't really get along with their mother um and so it's very much about like assimilation or not in cities that you didn't choose to go to like that you were going to out of necessity um because of whatever's going on in your hometown or because you're escaping something or trying to escape something uh so it does bounce back and forth between a couple of different cities but the majority of alia's storyline is in Kuwait. And even though she doesn't necessarily want to be there, the city is still very much a, like a secondary character in the book. So that is Salt Houses by Hala Alyan. Okay, and the last question is me. This is from, I can't see who it's, oh, this is from Jen, um, who says, I'm a, let's see, uh, I have a special topic area that I would like to explore and would appreciate any recommendations. I have some very vocal family members that use the Bible to spread hate and I would appreciate any books that discuss the history of the Bible, how the interpretations have worked, other writings that were not included, etc. Okay, Jen, what do you have? 
I have an author, but also a book. I <laughs> cannot recommend highly enough Elaine Pagels. She, I was introduced to her writing, I think when I was in high school, and she's written a ton of books about the history of Christianity and the way that the Bible was put together and what was left out. Um, the Gnostic Gospels is one that's from like 1979. Like she's been doing this work for decades. <laughs> um, she, there's one book she has that's about the origin of Satan. There's another one about the secret gospel of Thomas that like if you've like been around you know some of the different um there's a there's been like literal movies oh what was the name of that one anyway there's been literal like <laughs> hollywood movies made out of the gospel of thomas so it's it's you know it's in sort of a certain zeitgeist um and she's got books on all of this stuff i was specifically gonna recommend to you why religion a personal story which is her most recent book um came out in the last year and it's about like why like why do so many people still believe so strongly in religion and how do these traditions shape the way we experience everything in our lives um whether or not we're religious and she looks at her own life um because you know trigger warning um her son died very young and then she lost her husband a year later so she's faced a lot of personal loss and she has obviously done all of this scholarly work around religion so she understands sort of the inner workings of how this is all put together but also you know has to reconcile her own faith um and like what does it mean to her to have faith um and so and what is what is spirituality and she looks at like neurologists and anthropologists and historians and like her own research and so this is a very sort of 360 view about religion based on a very personal moment in her own life um but i think you could read any slash all of these and find some very interesting information. Um, and she's like, she's been on like, you know, fresh air with Terry Gross. Like she's very well regarded uh, in the theological community and is just a fascinating person. So, um, so that's Elaine Pagels. And the one I specifically was mentioning is why religion, a personal story. Okay, I'm reaching way back to my college days. I took a class on archaeology of the Bible uh, when awesome. I was in college. It was really, really great. My professor was a total hippie who, like, every summer went to Israel and did an archaeology dig, um, and he was just the best. And I'm pretty sure it was high 99% of the time that he was teaching <laughs> us. Um, but we read a book in that class called Who Wrote the Bible by Richard Elliott Friedman. And this focuses on the first five books of the Old Testament um, and is really just asking that question, like, who? wrote these, right? The popular, it sounds like you probably have a lot of, you know, experience with um, the Bible and like being religious and living with religious people. So you probably know that like the popular story of who wrote the first five books is that Moses wrote the first five books. But that doesn't really make any sense because like in the first five books, Moses's death happens. Um, and there are other things that make it like, mm, that's probably not real. And so he's really diving into, it's very academic. It's, he's a historian. So it's, um, very, it's a very academic read, but you know, I was 19 when I read it and I got through it, so I think you'll be fine. Um, and it's a both a, a historical, archaeological, and linguistic analysis of the first five books. So if you break out the text, um, of especially like the creation story, you can see that it's written in two different voices that someone, whoever put together the text that we have now, um, like mashed up into one. Uh, and the, the, like the Exodus story is the same. Like it was written obviously by two different people and then put together, combined into one text by someone, you know, um, in you know, before the common era. And he's trying to answer that question of like, who was it? Um, and I don't, I think he decides that it was 
Judah, or as someone post uh, the Babylonian invasion of Israel, um, who was bringing, I think it was Judah, I don't remember. It's been a while. I was 19, as I said, but it's super fascinating. And it had never occurred to me to read it linguistically. At the time, I was still a practicing Christian. And so I was reading, you know, like the NLT, and I was very removed from uh, any considerations of what the original text must have looked like and how they ended up in our, you know, modern hands, um, especially considering that the Babylonians did invade and so did like the Persians and all these other people who came into that area and destroyed everything that these texts managed to survive. And the way that they did manage to survive is probably because snippets were taken from various uh, various authors and then kind of woven together uh, by a couple of different people who gave us the first five books that we have now. And none of those people were Moses, just FYI. So that's <laughs> Who Wrote the Bible by Richard Elliot Friedman. Welcome to one of the white hot cores of Amanda. I know. Interest, <laughs> historical yeah. theology. Like, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. So, so interesting. interesting. The most interesting. I love it. Um, well, thank you all for listening <laughs> to us. Uh, we always appreciate both your questions and your feedback. Um, you can leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks to find the show as well. Thank you to today's sponsors for making the show possible. Thank you to coffee for getting us through it um you can find us on social media i am on twitter it's jen irl jen with two n's irl i am on instagram at i'm amanda nelson and we'll talk to you next time 